Through dinner by Magnus Ring Ringblom. Check it out if you are into some late night jazz. With that said, welcome back to another episode of Unleashing the Future of Work Guy Live B2B Jam session. Hope you are well. We took a break this past Monday because we went hard last week and interviewed hundreds, not hundreds, but dozens of amazing guests. So we wanted to take a little bit of a break, self-care Monday break. And we're so happy that you're back joining us. Much love you. You're joining from Oakland. But if you're not joining from Oakland, which is our hometown and headquarters, show some love and let us know where you are joining from. If you're international, we always love showing love to our international people. So in the comments, just let us know where you're tuning in from. It can be your car. It can be Alaska. Wherever it is, it doesn't matter. Just show us some love. With that said, super excited to dive deep with my guest for today, Mr. Jarris Poole. He's a leader in the UX and usability industry. In fact, he's an American writer, researcher, speaker, educator, and an expert on the subjects of usability, software, design, and research. He's been in the industry for years, and he's one of my UX idols, someone's UX idol, someone I've followed for quite some time, and I'm so excited to have him on the show. You know, he's also the founding principal of User Interface Engineering, which is a consultancy that does and focuses on research, training, and consulting firm that specializes in website and product usability. And more importantly, he recently started a school not too long ago, long ago called the center center and he's the maker of awesomeness there at the center center as he says the maker of awesomeness and we're going to dive deep a little bit about how awesome the center center is and their focus on being the user experience design school creating the next generation of industry ready ux designers with that said let's go ahead and bring on mr spool onto the show jared welcome to the show thank you i'm i'm happy to be here Tim. thanks for having me <laughs> Thank you for finding time. How are you doing? How, how's everything going for you, given that we're still kind of going through a pandemic? It's easing off a little, but we're all still going through it. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it, you know, uh, I've had better haircuts. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this is, you know, things are going well. We're, we're staying safe, staying indoors, wearing our masks, staying six yeah. feet apart. Good, good. We'd love for you to share a little bit about where you're joining us from, you know, and more importantly, how did you get started in the work that you're doing, that you do in the in the UX field? So many people follow you, including me, but so many of our 
our community probably tuning in right now are probably super interested in kind of what was the background before Jared became uh, one of the UX pioneers in the industry? Uh, well, uh, I, I was a software engineer back in the yeah. 70s and 80s, and I was, I was making software and, and trying to figure out uh, uh, how anyone was going to use these things. It was right at the birth of the personal computer industry before, uh, before personal computers, if you wanted to use a computer, you had to be a trained computer technician, yeah. uh, engineer, operator. Uh, but now we were starting to put them on people's desks that we could see a future where people would have their own computers. And then the question became, well, how does anyone use a computer if they aren't a trained programmer or computer operator? And that, that was sort of the world I accidentally found myself in. And, and that drove everything from that moment on. Wow, that's amazing. You know, it's funny, computing has changed a lot since then. And UX has changed a lot since then. Can you talk a little bit about some of the changes that you've just seen in the, in the UX field? And where do you think the UX field is going, you know, in the future, two to three years um, time? Well, the, the big change in, in user experience uh, is the fact that, that the computers themselves are just far more powerful. I mean, mm -hmm. the, the machines that I was using back in the late 70s um, took up whole racks of rooms, and now I have more bandwidth and more processing power in, in, my, in my phone than I had in any of those systems. And uh, the... Um, the the work that we can do with them, the things we can do. I mean, uh, back when I started, floppy disks were new. And <laughs> the small the small floppy disks that could store um, 128,000 bytes, 128k, hmm. um, uh, were were seen as sort of revolutionary large format disks. And uh, the uh, the emoji for a floppy disk is twice as large as the the amount of space it takes to store that emoji. <laughs> twice as large as those disks could hold. That's wild. <laughs> so, so uh, uh, you know the the. The scale at which we use technology and compute power now is just incredible, which means we're all walking around with supercomputers in our pockets that are connected to uh, computing power all over the world. And we can now do things like uh, speech recognition, which we could never do when I was first programming because um, you would just the amount of space it took to record your voice so that the recognizer could parse it and figure out what you said and then give you an answer um, was uh, uh, was beyond the capacities of the machines we were working on. So so it's it's um, it's the world has just changed completely. It's a different world. 
Yeah, yeah. You know, so with uh, and, and it's also brought about the need for more amazing experience oriented designers, people who actually really care about interaction design, the user experience and really serving the customer. What you can share a little bit about the center center because you've had the school. It's been around for quite some time. What inspired the building and the foundation of the school? Because you've been a pioneer in this space for, for quite some time. But at some point, you eventually said, you know what? I'm actually going to start a school academy to really teach the masses. I would love for you to dive deep on what inspired that. Uh, it, it was a need for uh, for our clients. Um, mm. The the people that we were working with were realizing that design was becoming a uh, important part of their business. That mm. you know, it wasn't just this nice to have thing that made you you know shined up and made made things shiny and and pretty at the end it was good design was was changing the world you know apple became the largest company not because they had the cheapest products but because they had the best design products disney um is at the top of the entertainment game because they take great care in designing the experiences that people have in their parks and their stores with their products um uh the luxury goods space is known for a long time that 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 you can compete with design but now design was getting more affordable and more accessible to companies that didn't consider themselves to be luxury goods and so as a result every company was trying to figure out what a better designed experience was and it started in uh like companies in the hotel industry and in the uh, um, but qu quickly moved to utility companies and banks and insurance companies. And now everybody is hiring designers. And we, we could see the writing on the wall that there just weren't enough designers in the world for everybody to hire. So as a result, we had to uh, start to ask the question, where are these designers going to come from? And, and we realized that, well, there needs to be a school to do this. And with great reluctance, we started one. Um, wow. uh, you know, the, the, the easiest way to turn uh, uh, $10 million into $1 million is to start a school. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, it's true. You know, for, for you, you know, it not, it's funny because it's kind of ahead of its time, especially now where we're seeing with COVID-19, the kind of rethinking of what the education system should be. You know, what were the challenges early on in the, in the, in the early days of starting the school and, and kind of building the foundations of it? Um, the, the, uh, the biggest challenges were, were around figuring out what the curriculum should be mm -hmm. and getting through the bureaucracy of state authorization. Um, those were the things that we probably invested the hardest in. Um, uh, both paid off. We, we made it through authorization and we have a great curriculum. Uh, but, but we started the curriculum by looking at, uh, we, we took a different tack than a lot of companies take. Um, uh, a lot of organization, a lot of schools start with, um, thinking of the students as their primary customer. And we thought of the hiring managers as our primary customer, that mm. uh, the transaction that we needed to happen was that the um, 
the hiring companies hire one of our graduates. And if we could get that to happen effectively and quickly, then everything else would fall into place. So we had to figure out what did we need to make sure our graduates could do and had the skills, knowledge, experience uh, to be able to pull off. Um, what what did they need to be what we call what we ended up calling industry ready? So mm. that the first day of work they could be up to speed. The the schools that exist at the time and many of the schools that are still out there. Um, it takes a good four to six months before someone right out of school is producing work that's, uh, that's good enough for the salary they're getting paid. And, and companies just sort of took this as a matter of fact. But the reality is, is, that, is that it doesn't have to be that way. They, the students, the graduates can be producing work on their first day of the job that's, mm. that's, and earning their keep. And not being a, uh, a need to have their education be finished in the workplace, and so we did that by studying what was happening in those first six months, what the hiring managers needed, and then building a curriculum that actually provided that. That's powerful. So instead of so you guys went against the grain by saying our actual ideal customer, who we should be really you know co-creating this program with, isn't the actual students; it's hiring managers. Who really who should want to hire our students because they're industry ready? Exactly, exactly. Our students are happy to do whatever if it's yeah. going to get them a good job. That's why yeah. they're coming. They're, our students are all career switchers, so they're they're coming to our program because they want a better job than what they have today. So mm-hmm. we need to tell them that yeah, we know what that is, and we've got these hiring managers that say if you can do these specific things, we will hire you. So we created something that's unusual in higher education. We created something that's called a a competency-based program where Mm -hmm. we have defined 140 competencies that uh, user experience designers need. And uh, we train the students on every single one of those competencies and they graduate uh, uh, having these 140 things that not only can they do, but they can demonstrate through their project work that they have done these things and how well they've done these things. And that's what makes the hiring managers excited. They want people who can come in and do that. And they learn these 140 uh, competencies over a two year period. And so we can demonstrate for each student that the student came in knowing practically nothing about how to do this kind of work. And they graduated with all this knowledge Mm -hmm. and can sort of plot the beginning of a vector of growth that says, look, you hire these these people a year from now, they're going to know even more because we've taught them how to learn. And that's probably the most important thing we teach in the school is, mm-hmm. is how to learn because learning is continual. Learning doesn't stop on graduation day. It doesn't start on the first day of uh, uh, induction in, in the program. It it it's, we look for lifelong learners, and mm-hmm. if you have a history of, of always teaching yourself new things, always learning new things, trying your artist, that makes you an ideal candidate for our program. That's amazing. I want to show love to Mr. Evans, who's tuning in from Chicago. Hey, Mr. Evans, hope you're having a lovely Tuesday in Chicago. Let us know what you've been thinking about what Jared has been saying so far. And, you know, it's really powerful, Jared, because competency-based education is definitely ahead of its time. 
in um, the educational context. And I think what's so interesting is the fact that you guys figured out a model that once scales for students, which is really, really important, you know, and there's so much going on in the education space right now, whether it be, you know, Coursera, the Courseras of the world, the Udemy of the world, general assemblies. But, you know, it's, it's fascinating how we're now in a, in, a, in a world of education where, you know, the profession such as a UX designer or a UX practitioner now have potential outlets they can go to get reskilled and upskilled. Do you see that being a trend that continues kind of uh, in, the, in the future of work? Yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of different ways that people learn. I mean, you can learn a lot just by trying to mimic the work of others. You can learn a lot by um, uh, reading lots of articles and, and, and thinking big thoughts along with the thought leaders. But uh, a lot of it has to do with just rolling up your sleeves and, and getting real experience. And so I think a lot of education programs are moving in this direction of experiential learning and trying to uh, create environments where you're actually learning. You know, our students spend two years, but two thirds of that time, they're actually working on real projects for real organizations that wow. are going to get shipped and deployed and put into the world. And they have to finish those projects and get them out there. And that's stuff they can put in their portfolio. But it's, it's, they can point to it and say, I built that. That was something I built. Uh, mm. And it's now in the world and it's doing something. And that um, gives them visibility with the company that they're working for in that instance and, and the work that they're doing. And so that those companies are more likely to be interested in potentially hiring them and, and looking at them. So they they're building relationships at the same time. And so many folks graduate from programs, not having any network mm. into the industry of who's hiring and who's looking for folks. And, uh, and so they just start submitting resumes into the, um, job site lottery and hoping <laughs> that they get picked. And it, it's not, it doesn't help anybody. Um, so we created a program where people are getting exposed to the, uh, the folks who are hiring long before they need a job. And those people get a chance to see their work, see them grow, see them learn and can sit there and think to themselves, wow, when this person graduates, I want to be the one that makes them the offer. And that helps quite a bit. And so that's, that's the type of experience that we've we've built at the program. Yeah, truly experiential learning from the ground up. Super powerful. Shout out to Mr. Evans who's saying, what impact has work from home and e-learning had on UX design? Um, what's trending? What has been added or enhanced in the curriculum, Mr. Spool? Thoughts on that? Um, I, there's, it's a, it's a uh, there's sort of short-term and long-term stuff. So, so, Moving more remote has been happening for a while. I mean, people have been doing more research remotely. They've been doing more collaboration remotely. Of course, the pandemic forced this to happen much, much sooner. And what happened in the pandemic um, uh, uh, also sort of revealed where we don't have that much support, like what happens when everybody is home it was, you know, the original work from home 
a year ago was I'd be home, but everybody else would be in school or at work <laughs> or doing their own thing. Now everybody's here, and I just was in a meeting an hour ago where uh, I was talking to five people, and one of them was having their cat walk across the keyboard, and another one had their daughter hanging from their neck, and another one had their one-year-old in his lap, and and uh, uh, and this is the new normal, and mm. and so uh, being able to uh, to think about well, what does it mean to be a professional? What does it mean to collaborate? What does it mean to work? Um, has created all these instances, and you know, our systems aren't designed for one-handed typing when you have a child in your lap. Mm. Uh, we need to to figure out how we're going to to be able to get work done uh, in this in this world. So there are, there are lots of changes that are happening completely. Yeah, so true. How, how are we gonna, how do we embrace remote learners or people who just start school remotely now versus being in person, which is a, a really great point. Great question, Patrick, love that. Wanna show love to Mrs. Head, Mrs. Head or Mrs. He, sorry, Mrs. Erica, I am mispronouncing it, but wanna show you love who is tuning in from Connecticut. So appreciate you tuning in with us today in this conversation with Jared Spool. Gerard says, nice question, Patrick. Much love, showing love to Patrick. Mr. Spool, it's been an honor having you on the show. You know, what would be your powerful takeaway for some of our hungry learners who are tuning in right now who want to take control of their careers or maybe take a leap into UX or some, more, some other industry? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, I, I think the key thing is that, that – uh, the only thing that's constant is change and to be open to the changes that are around you, to always be learning, to think of life as just one lifelong learning opportunity uh, and to, to be absorbing as much as you can all the time. Uh, I'm, you know, approaching 60 years old and, and uh, uh, I feel like I learn new things every day. <laughs> Part of our work at the at the program is is every day we have a stand up and part of the stand up is you have to say something that you've learned since the last time uh, you you um, worked on uh, you you reported the stand up and and how it's going to change what you do going forward and it it forces us when everybody from the senior leadership all the way down is talking about things that they learned over the last 24 hours that they didn't know. Uh, mm -hmm. It creates this culture of learning that's very open, and so keeping keeping that culture going and and understanding how to learn more is is a lot of what uh, what I think makes for really good professionals these days. Powerful, always be learning, y'all. And if you all want to learn more about the Center Center, have shared a link where you can learn more about the organization and uh, check out to see if you're interested in the, in the UX programs. With that said, Jared, thank you so much for being on the show. Can we please have you back on in the future? <laughs> that would be great. I'd love it. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, Mr. Spool. Talk to you soon. Talk to you also. <laughs> Take care. And that was the amazing Jared Spool on the show. Super excited to, and grateful that we had him on the show. Please check out Center Center. They're doing amazing, amazing work in helping the future UX professionals take control of their careers and find jobs that they love, jobs that they love. And that's not always easy when you're starting your career or you're transitioning your career. In a few minutes, I'm going to have a friend of mine, Sir Kant, 
who is also a UX professional on the show, and him and me go way back. So we're going to show him some love, ask him and catch up with him on what he's been doing. He's based out in Austin. He's a UX designer as well and UX researcher. And we're just going to talk, talk shop with him about the latest events going on today. Definitely hang out, tune in with us, and more importantly, take a break, catch some tea. We'll be right back.
and welcome back to the best B2B live jam session in the world, Guy Live B2B jam session. My next guest is a good friend of mine who is prolific on LinkedIn, and he's an amazing UX researcher, designer, and just thought leader in the space as well. We're going to be speaking with Shinu, who has a lot of thoughts to share on one, how you get into UX, but also where the industry is going. But also, we're going to chat a little bit about just what's going on today, especially with the Apple event and where he sees the future of technology and experiences going. So it's just going to be a really casual chat. Definitely join us and show love to Chinu. Tag them in the post. Make sure you check out his work. He has a website, and we will be sharing his LinkedIn profile in the chat panel. So definitely join us and be a part of the conversation. Show some love if you're super excited to talk to Chinu. Hey, man, what's up, buddy? Hey, Tim. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It's uh, it's an honor, and um, it's great to hear from you. How have you been these days? Dude, it's been crazy, man. Just been busy, been working, man. You know, it, it's funny, man. It, it's been a while since we, we chatted. How have you been? I've been doing all right, you know, uh, just in between some things right now and, you know, just uh, keeping on going, really. I mean, uh, also next month I'll be speaking at the UXPA Boston Conference virtually, so I'm really excited about that. And as you can get, and in case you're wondering, I'm going to be speaking about my uh, work in the conversational AI space. So I'm really excited about doing that. Yeah, tell us a little bit about conversational AI. For those who don't know what conversational AI is, what is that? How long have you been working in that space? Yeah, yeah, more than happy to. So uh, for those of you who don't know, conversational AI is basically uh, uh, kind of a, a long term for uh, long term for basically how we interact with uh, automated services, whether it be chatbots or or voice UI, uh, voice interfaces like Alexa or Siri or Cortana, or even Google itself, uh, Google Assistant itself. And basically what I personally focus on, I consider myself a kind of the accidental generalized specialist in this area, <laughs> a UX researcher, coined from Tim, uh, Tim Ferriss, um, a UX researcher who has a niche in the conversational AI space. My, my purpose is to make sure that conversational AI is not only user friendly but also useful for users and that we can mitigate as much bias when we can actually when interacting with them so that they can uh, so that we're actually improving people's uh, lives and uh, by through automation and being able to uh, do stuff quickly through conversation uh, but yeah, that's that's basically, I've been in the space for, I want to say about around this roughly the same time I've joined the UX space, about six, five to six years. So I've been in the UX space for six years, but five years is when I've been in the, uh, you know, focusing on conversational AI, even before mm -hmm. people really talking about it from a design perspective. You know, we'd love for you to kind of dive deep with this too, because you yeah. know, you know, you and me used to geek out about, geek out about this stuff, but we still geek out, geek out about sure. it because it's still changing and you know that we're, we're barely scratching the surface in, in the future of conversational AI and voice interfaces you know what do you wish people realized more about what conversational AI would look like in five or seven years that we don't really get right now yeah that is a great question and it's something I I'm still thinking about till this day and I don't really have all the answers to but what I will say though is that I envision a future where um, humans and AI are actually working together as opposed to competing against each other. Because mm -hmm. I think the biggest, I, be, I feel like the biggest misconception with AI in general is that 
AI is going to make us humans obsolete uh, because of uh, of how much automation is done and all the efficiencies that's done. But that's not really the case at all because I feel like AI still has a long ways to go or or not even that, but rather AI's strength isn't in creativity or or in being able to uh, you know be be empathetic per se, but rather to be able to uh, do basic tasks like being able to schedule things or being able to um, being able to give quick advice uh, to people or quick suggestions or or you know tips of information uh, efficiently efficiently when you need it uh, at the right moments. And so I really do think that. Um, with that in mind, it's really important for humans to be involved throughout the whole process uh, from design to strategy to development in in uh, working together in building and also working with the AI to make sure that it's able to get it. I liken it to like the calculator metaphor. I, you know, basically the calculator didn't uh, didn't take away our ability to do math. Rather, uh, some of us still can do it, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, of course, people can do mental math and be able to actually calculate and know how. That, but, but the calculator basically helped us with being able to efficient, efficiently solve the nitty gritty parts of it, so that we could focus on the critical thinking aspects of math and and what what we're doing and why we're doing that. So that's the way I look at. I like an AI too. Is that AI is really a tool to help us do the nitty gritty efficiently, whereas while we focus on the, the the critical thinking aspects of why we're doing the things that we're doing and what we're trying to do and how we strategize it. Hey, write that down for those of you who think AI is going to take our jobs. Gene was saying, saying it here first. AI is not going to take your job. Instead, it's going to elevate it and allow you to be more a strategic and critical thinker. I want to show love to Nisha, who's asking you, um, Shri Khan, you know, how do we handle accessibility with conversational AI? What are your thoughts on this, especially because you've done a lot of work in the accessibility uh, research space too in the past? Well, well, actually, uh, just to be perfectly honest, accessibility is not really one of my main focuses in in AI, uh, in conversational AI, accessibility in the sense of of making sure that people with uh, different uh, abilities. Uh, are able to interact with it. I, I have never really done any work in that area or even accessibility in general. And it's something that I, but I would like to explore more in because I do believe that uh, we really need to think about accessibility with AI, with things like being able to uh, think about accommodations for uh, you know speaking and also for things like, uh, even for auditory as well too. And that's, those are some things I'm also, curious about and even for people who are blind as well too like you know making sure that uh that being able to interact with the uh chatbots and text chatbots is accessible for them too i don't have all the answers unfortunately but i'm aware of its importance and it's something that i'm trying to explore in the future and mm. trying to get more knowledge about basic accessibility in general beyond just wiki but yeah <laughs> All right. So do you think there are kind of traditional paradigms or usability frameworks that we can apply from, you know, mobile computing or, you know, the web to uh, how we think about conversational AI, given kind of your, your know-how in, in that space? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got a lot of a lot to say about, like, when it comes to conducting usability studies around AI. Uh, one of the things to really keep in mind is that unlike with 
um, your, your traditional GUI or your traditional mobile app where it's a lot more open-ended in nature where you can tap anywhere. Uh, conversational uh, AI, at least with chatbots, basically is a very much more linear experience where you're just basically, all the movement is going basically downwards within, uh, with the chatbot. It's really one-to-one -one linear experience. And what that po the tricky part about conducting usability studies with chatbots is that you have to really accommodate for that linear experience because you know uh, whereas with more open-ended experiences like with GUIs and mobile apps where you know there's a lot more ability to test out discoverability on what mm -hmm. the mean, you have to you know with a linear experience like a chatbot. It, it can be it can be a bit of a challenge to really focus on traditional discoverability uh, since there's only one direction to go towards. So you really have to think about things like what do people see on screen? Like what do they notice on screen as they are looking at the content? So you really have to emphasize information architecture in that sense, as well as the content of what they see and how it makes them feel when it comes to discoverability type questions. And then you also have to really structure the tasks very, very carefully because, again, it's a very linear experience. And so you really have to make sure to really accommodate for, for you know, uh, being very, being very like, you know, uh, talking about which uh, setting up the tasks so that it, uh, so that it allows them to authentically be able to navigate through the screen, but without giving away the, the the solution or the answer so it, it you know it takes a lot of balance and whatnot and it takes a lot of care to make sure when designing the tasks and also when designing the prototypes because a lot of my work was basically um, uh, using prototypes from envision to explore mm -hmm. design patterns and navigation patterns and whatnot uh, and and so and especially when it comes to unmoderated usability tests too you have to make sure that uh, you, you want to be specific, but not too specific to the point where you're giving everything away and it creates a confound, unnecessary confound. There's also the matter of things like how do people actually, what type of information you would expect people mm -hmm. to type as well too. And I always make sure to ask those types of questions to kind of understand like what kind of common keywords people say. And that's very, very important when it comes to natural language uh, based chatbots where you type in or uh, type in something and you get a response. It's very important, especially when it comes to being able to give recommendations to the developers and the uh, and the machine learning engineers about what type of uh, training data to consider. So those are like some of the some of the big things to really consider uh, uh, when it comes to uh, conducting usability studies on chatbots. That's powerful. No, and it, you really have to be intentional too, it seems. Yeah. Really think about it from a very humanized perspective. You know, I want to kind of shift to a, a very different topic, but one I know you, you're probably keeping track of today. Apple is having their big uh, announcement event today, and they're probably going to announce a lot in the space of potentially conversational AI and also their future in terms of VR, AR, even mobile computing. You know, what are you excited? What are you kind of keeping track of in terms of Apple's announcements? And how do you think Apple is thinking about this space or just the future of conversational experiences, even though they haven't really invested a lot of it in the in, in, the, in the past, only to a degree? What are your thoughts? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the thing is, I haven't really paid as much of attention to Apple uh, like, you know, like uh, as actively as a lot of other people are. I mean, I know that they're having their events and everything, but 
what I will say though is that um, you know when it comes to uh, you know Apple's always full of surprises. You know even with the leaks and everything, it's a, even when they announce something that uh, has already been leaked before, uh, that was already been kind of leaked before or 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 like you know predicted before. It, you know, it's still even when it comes out, it's still a bit of a surprise. You still get into that hypnosis phase of yeah. this is really cool and everything. Um, but but you know, I think what with that being said, I will say though, uh, on the context of 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 you know, like with with Apple's products and everything, I find Apple's approach a little interesting when it comes to how they release their products. You know, things like Siri, for instance, back when it came out back in two thousand eleven. And it um, with uh, I think it was the iPhone 4s or I'm, I'm trying to remember sorry, but but you know I but I remember when that came out and that Siri was like the big killer was one of the new features that they had in their uh, their phone, and that it really um, you know it it you know it, it kind of came out as kind of like a bit of a kind of a, a to put it lightly, kind of something that was for really a fun, a fun feature that came out. Well, it kind of accidentally, really, because you know you, you had a lot of memes that came out of Siri and whatnot with how it answered and everything. But I feel like it really kickstarted that point of of really, uh, of really innovating further in that space. You know, you had following. You also had Alexa. You also had Google's a Google Assistant as well too, and Cortana. And then not to mention that there was kind of this bigger boom in 2015, starting 2015, 2016-ish with uh, the chatbots, like those special uh, text-based chatbots again in reversions. But what I will say though, I think that usually a lot of innovations like, you know, VR, AR, uh, voice, it, you know, there's always like, it usually starts off as kind of, the first starting point is usually kind of in the frivolous point, mm. not in a bad way by any means, but, you know, kind of an experimental frivolous point of 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 being able to of introducing that technology and you know just kind of getting acquainted with that and i think that you know usually that's kind of how like a lot of this really gets kickstarted and everything mind you there's always going to be a little bits of dips and everything i'm not really as i'm not like i'm attached to apple by any means hence why i'm not really like as focused on them like you know i, I kind of I never really paid attention to Apple ever since Steve Jobs passed away, but <laughs> I do. You're not much of a fanboy anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not really a fan. I'm very technologically agnostic. Like, I'm not partial to either or. Like, I'm just very, like, you know, uh, it's all about, for me, like, I'm, you know, the way I go about it is being tech technically agnostic and not being attached to either or brands, but appreciating them for their own, what they've contributed. And I think that Apple really in my mind, Apple really highlighted the importance of user experience. Mm. Uh, and I feel like that's really significant. And that, and that kind of, and that is really rubbed off on like a lot of other companies as well, too. That's kind of the way I perceive them as kind of highlighting the importance of it and helping other companies really drive the importance of, of really focusing on UX and everything. But yeah. That's powerful, man. That's powerful. Pacino, man, it's been an honor having you on the show, man. You know, what do you, what, what's your powerful takeaway for our guy community on, you know, how they can level up their UX game, but more importantly, you know, be lifelong learners. We recently have one of your faves, uh, Mr. Jared Spool, on the show, who's talking about the importance of lifelong learning. You know, you're a serial learner yourself. You actually have an active newsletter and LinkedIn kind of community where you're always teaching 
more about the UX discipline. So how do we all kind of embrace this mindset of, of lifelong learning? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a big believer in being a lifelong learner because I feel like lifelong learning is what keeps the passion going. You know, I think that when you're, uh, especially when it comes to things like burnout as well, too, because I feel like one of the biggest things that happens when you burn out is that you kind of lose a sense of purpose or why I'm doing something the way I'm doing. And, but in the way I kind of, one way I've actually been doing uh, kind of, you know, recovering from burnout is, you know, learning about what's going on in the world of, of technology and UX and also the different UX techniques and everything. And it gives me that spark, that spark and inspiration to, to keep on going and understand my place in the world. And, you know, moreover, I really like, I, I go beyond just, you know, the uh, UX, like, you know, kind of uh, UX, uh, like the traditional UX. I also look into things like uh, areas like psychology and cognitive science, like my, that's my, my background in, as well as behavioral economics. I'm a huge behavioral economics geek. Uh, I really geek out over that. And also with game design and even with even with learning about software development as well too. And I always think about it from a very abstract level about how this connects with UX and how we can think about things in design. Because to me, I really feel like, you know, uh, I'm a big believer in cross-pollination and mm -hmm. finding parallels and similarities between different areas and different ways of inspiration and everything. Because uh, you know, UX at its heart is a very interdisciplinary study. I think yeah. that that our diversity of of knowledge and our backgrounds and everything is our strength because of the fact that we're using different mindsets, everything from psychology, behavioral sciences to anthropology to design to even even Eng even uh, literature and uh, English or even even engineering. Like they all have a place in there, and they all have things that they can contribute to mold the space. And that's the way I look at look at I look at the space. And it's really important to really understand different perspectives and being able to communicate well with them. And I feel like that's how you get that vertical side of your T, I mean sorry, your horizontal horizontal side of your T to uh, to complement the either the vertical side of your vertical side of your T and your own expertise. Awesome. But yeah, yeah. Man, so it's important if y'all are listening, be a lifelong learner and interdisciplinary. You know, there is a cross-pollination of, of skills and expertise across multiple disciplines. So definitely, definitely be a lifelong learner and don't be afraid to take a stab into different disciplines. Chinu, it was such an honor having you on the show, brother. You know, can we have you kind of in the future when you write your next big book, man? Because you're, you're growing up, bro. Absolutely, absolutely. It would be, I, I'd be more than happy to. I really enjoyed being on the show. Thank you so much for having me, man. It, Thank you so honor. much, Chinu. We appreciate you, brother. Be well, man. <laughs> Peace. Peace. And that was another lovely early morning for some of you, late afternoon episode of Guy Live B2B Jam Session. Thank you so much for tuning in with us. By the way, we've launched a tea brand, Big Black Tea, Big Black Tea, Big Black Tea. Make sure to sign up to my newsletter, sign up for my newsletter, MrFutureOfWork.com to learn a little bit more about our amazing tea brand and stay tuned for updates about our amazing tea brand, Big Black Tea, made for you, crafted by Lindsay Cameron and Tim with love from Cali, specifically Oakland and LA. Big Black Tea, make sure to check it out. Zen and Harmony, by the way. So for those of you who are tea lovers like me, definitely check it out. We're super excited to be launching Big Black Tea to the masses, especially given all of the violence and 
sadness and depression that the world is still facing due to COVID-19. You know, we need more love, we need more tea, and we're super excited to be launching Big Black Tea to the masses. So please check it out. Stay tuned, stay connected with me on all my social channels, but also sign up for updates at my newsletter, MrFutureOfWork.com, MrFutureOfWork.com. Sign up for updates at my newsletter, and we will be letting you know when pre-orders are ready. We're super excited about it because it's the manifestation of what we imagine is more love and warmth and peace in the world. Check out Big Black Tea. With that said, also sign up for early access or tell a friend to tell a friend to tell their boss to sign up for early access of guideapp.co. We are moving, 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 and we continue to build momentum on our movement as well as our platform. Our platform is your platform. Always remember that. And happy Tuesday. And more importantly, wherever you're tuning in from, peace, love, and abundance. Wishing you well and wishing you love. Peace.